Welcome to Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in for more community conversation mashed up with more music during the 6 p.m. hour this summer. Coming up tonight, we'll be talking with poets who will be on stage at the Utah Arts Festival this weekend at Library Square. We'll hear from Trish Hopkinson and Kevin Blankenship of Rock Canyon Poets and River Writing's Nan Seymour. Tomorrow is Women's Equality Day. We'll get a preview with a couple of the organizers ready to rally on the steps of the Capitol tomorrow evening. We'll start with a pick for our Songs of Summer playlist from poet Nan Seymour. Uh, all the songs in my mind are kind of um, camp ones because I just came back from Idaho. So actually, this is a nice one. It's called We Shall Be Known. Um, Mom Muse sings a nice version of it, We Shall Be Known. Um, I think that's a good one. Who do you want to dedicate that to? Oh, to River Riders, all of them. Can Perfect. I? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> that's sweet. And I think it's a song that, you know, other people have covered, but Mom Muse is the version I've been listening to. M-A-M-U-S-E? M-A-M-U-S-E, yeah. On KRCL 90.9, Songs of Summer. We shall be known by the company we keep. By the ones who circle round to tend these fires. You're listening to the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones. Tomorrow, the ERA Coalition of Utah has organized an Equal Rights for Utah rally in celebration of Women's Equality Day. I'll be joining the group on the steps of the Capitol at 5 p.m. tomorrow. To find out what's in store, I spoke with three of the women involved. I am Kelly Whited-Jones. I'm a founding member and co-president of the Utah ERA Coalition, and I hold a master's degree in environmental and health communication from the University of Utah, and I'm a communication instructor at the U and at Salt Lake Community College, and I have been working on ERA for about six years, and I love it. Uh, I've been able to work with a number of different representatives on on some different bills, um, and particularly on the ERA, and I'm just committed to getting it through. We've got to do more for Utah women. I'm Emily Bell McCormick, and I am um, co-president of the Utah ERA Coalition. I, I am the founder of the Policy Project, where we work on like women's and equality issues in the state. And I, I understand that one of your passion projects is... Uh, eradicating the tampon tax, the pink tax. Oh yes, I'm very into menstrual equity. <laughs> so my other, the other thing I do, so ERA is one of my big ones. And then the other thing I do is just any policy regarding menstruation. So we've worked on the tampon tax. This year we are trying to get um, tampons and pads to be freely available in public schools. So I'm really, we have, we're hoping the legislature will um, carry a bill to put those into schools. We also have with us Devin Johnson Kramer. Hi, Devin. Tell us about yourself. Hi. My name is Devin Johnson Kramer. I am the president of the Utah Beauty Coalition and co founder of the Utah Beauty Project. I was involved earlier this year in the rallies we organized at Washington Square Park to protest Senate Bill 87, which was a bill to deregulate our cosmetology license, which was in um, not the best interest of the general public. And I hold a cosmetology and instructor license in the state of Utah. I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, and I have been in the industry about six years, and I'm a small business owner. I own a small salon in Midvale, and I've been involved with the ERA since the beginning of this year was when I first kind of learned that 
women's equity was something that we needed to address in the state of Utah and was actually very relevant to our industry and the injustices that we face in our workplace. Well, the three of you are joining me today for a preview of what is happening tomorrow at the Utah Capitol. It is the Equal Rights Rally and Vigil. And Kelly, why don't you uh, take us through what is going to happen tomorrow, when, where, and why? Great. We are so excited to be up at the Capitol. We start at 5.30 Thursday evening. We're starting, we're, we're hosting this on a Thursday because it is the actual Women's Equality Day. And it's a day that we're celebrating past accomplishments of Utah women and other women involved in equal rights efforts. But we're also really wanting to highlight some of the things that are still a problem, some of the inequities that Utah women still face, and and in the hopes that we can do better. We we feel like we can do better. Um, We will have some amazing speakers up at the Capitol. Um, We have Carolyn Pearson here from, from California, who was an ardent supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment back in the 1970s. And she has some fabulous stories to tell about that time period. Um, Some other folks that will be there, Jeff Worthington with the AFL-CIO, one of our awesome male allies, is coming to talk about pay issues and pay transparency. He works with the unions and has a sense of how to do it better, um, how we could be ensuring that women can make a livable wage in our state and how we could ensure that they have access to full-time work and, and, uh, and perhaps don't have to reveal their past salary as they go to get a new job. There are some things that we can do to make it better for Utah women. Emily, when you think about ERA, um, tell me about where you think it sits today in likely passage in Utah, given the huge pushback uh, the first time around in the state from the local culture, the predominant religion. Do you think that that is still a factor today? Oh, yeah. With, I mean, without a doubt, right? These are uh, demons that linger large here for us, you know. And I think although um, the sentiment around ER, the actual idea of equality has become very acceptable and something that Utahns really strive for, including the legislature. You know, they they want to feel like they're being equal and want to feel like they're considering these things. Um, it, it is what you said, you know, we're, we're fighting a history with um, the Equal Rights Amendment that is a little bit difficult. I can tell you that one of the very hopeful things that happened last year with this was that we had a Republican co-sponsor, a, a, um, a male co-sponsor, and he seemed to see the value in that. And we were so grateful for that because it feels like those are little steps showing that like, hey, this is okay. The way that we understood this in the 70s is a little different than the way we understand it now. And so we're hopeful that, that you know, it's definitely been baby steps, but we're very hopeful that there will be, um, we saw a lot more reception of the idea last year. I think it's still, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough one to pass just because it has a lot of history behind it. But um, our goal is to really um, convey the actual meaning of the ERA and what it will actually do, because most of the hesitation in the past has been based on misinformation and kind of really, really good um, 
propaganda campaigns, you know, by a, 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 someone who didn't want equality. So um, we've, we've definitely got that hill to climb up, but we're hoping that we'll be able to get there. Devin, you're one of the featured speakers at the Capitol before we go down to Memory Grove for a vigil. Give us a preview of what you want to talk about at tomorrow's rally for equal rights. Well, I think that the most relevant thing to Utah right now is the prevalence of women's rights within Generation Z and the millennials. And that's, you know, something that I choose to represent. I think that this is a fight and the ERA will never expire. And this is something that we have to take over the finish line. Uh, It it affects all of us even to this day. Something that's really interesting to me is that 85% of the beauty industry in the United States is made of women and 94% of the beauty industry in the United States, of of cosmetologists in the United States are made of women, which is in comparison to 47% of the workforce, which is an NDP analytics study from 2014. And I think that it's really important to remember that women are going to work. Whether people believe that our place is in the home is irrelevant because clearly we are working and clearly, um, you know, equality doesn't expire. And I think that it's really important to remember that. And I think that's something that we're going to bring up for sure. Also to remember that the beauty industry is exemplifies gender diversity, ethnic and racial and cultural diversity and small businesses. And without the ERA, we won't be able to have the same opportunities that some other uh, male-dominated industries have. We don't have a trade union. We don't have, you know, really a business model that exists that exemplifies, you know, pay time off, maternity leave, healthcare. That's not something that's prevalent in our industry. And we make up 2.2 million workers in the United States. And so it's really important to remember that we need the ERA. We need the ERA to protect us. Well, and Kelly, I wanted to bring it back to you to close our, our short preview here of tomorrow's Equal Rights Rally and Vigil up at the Utah Capitol. Um, and that is, has the language aged well in our current culture wars? We're talking a lot about identity, about uh, the body you're born in versus the body that perhaps you feel you are. And I'm talking about our LGBTQIA um, members of our community. And does this still cover everyone, do you think? I think it absolutely does. We're in such an exciting time for understanding equality across the board. And we are very dedicated in our efforts to ensure that that there are no exclusions. Um, We will be celebrating the efforts of the suffragists. And, and that's a lesson that they really had to learn. They, they did make some exclusions kind of for strategy reasons so that they could get things through. And I, while I understand their reasoning for doing so, um, they left people behind, people that worked for them, women of color. Um, and we are still working to fill in the gaps in those areas. And so we feel really strongly about wanting this effort very much to cover all Utahns. We believe in fairness. Those principles of fairness should apply to all of us. And um, it's an exciting time. There are a lot of things happening, some rulings in the last few years that demonstrate that our understanding about gender and sex are shifting and changing somewhat. But the Equal Rights Amendment is, is foundational. It is essential. And it is something that can really undergird, I think, our discussions in that way, um, offer protections for men and women um, and for non-binary folks. So we we are very hopeful that those equal rights will extend to all people.
What's the website or social media where folks can get caught up on what's happening tomorrow? The lineup of speakers at the Capitol and an equal exciting lineup for the vigil that happens at Memory Grove. Please come and find us on Utah Equal Rights Coalition. That's our public facing Facebook page. Uh, we are can be found on Instagram and Twitter at, at ERA Utah. And there's a lot of good information there. Um, we're excited about the vigil portion too, where Supreme uh, Justice Durham will be speaking and Olivia Jaramillo from Equality Utah will talk to us a little bit about her military service and about equality and the needs for equality in the military. Um, we also will take a minute to talk through the equal rights pioneers here in Utah and, and honor them, have a chance to honor them. And of course, Carolyn Pearson will read to us from some of her latest poetry, particularly an essay, um, a book actually that she wrote called Finding Mother God and exploring kind of the definitions of the feminine divine and broadening some of those definitions. So it's gonna be an exciting night. We invite you to come out. It'll be a great time up at the Capitol that we'll wander down in and listen to some live music. Uh, we have three awesome local artists that will perform for us down in Memory Grove at Memorial House. And we're excited for the night. Um, Memory Grove is a place that was built by Utah women. A group called the Service Star Legion is responsible for making Memory Grove what it is today. And so it seems like the perfect setting to come and celebrate our equal rights pioneers here in Utah. And Voterize will also be there to make sure everybody is registered to vote. Absolutely. Kelly Whitehead-Jones, Emily Bell McCormick, and Devin Johnson-Kramer. Just three of the folks helping to organize tomorrow's Equal Rights for Utah rally. Five o'clock on the steps of the Utah Capitol. Check tonight's show notes for more details. And now some songs of summer from a couple of tonight's featured poets, Kevin Blankenship and Trish Hopkinson. It's not the most like, you know, high flown <laughs> example, but I love ACDC, anything by ACDC. Um, oh, there's so much to choose from. Don't make me choose. Yeah. Tell me your favorite and let's go for it. So um, it's a long way to the top before if you want to rock and roll, um, which for me is like a personal anthem because I've got big dreams as so many of you do. And uh, it's just a good reminder that it takes a while to build anything beautiful. That's perfect. I love it. Yeah, it was great. You know what? That <laughs> totally is a song of summer for me. I have to tell you guys a quick little anecdote. Um, years ago when my daughter was, I don't know, she was probably like 10. We went to a Lucinda Williams show, uh, and it was summertime and, uh, she was really getting into it and her and my friend Kristen went right up to the front of the stage and Lucinda played a cover of that ACDC song and they just sat That's down amazing. there and banged their heads. And still to this day, the two of them are just like, connected. Oh, you remember when we went to that Lucinda Williams concert? We were right up the stage. Anyway, so that's a great song of summer. I can't get enough of ACDC. It's like... I'm going to I'm going to play it back to back. I'm going to play the ACDC and then I'm going to play Honey Bee cuz that's a real rocker of hers. Ooh, oh, nice. I love yeah. Honey Bee. Nice. Uh -huh. I love it.
Songs of Summer still open for your picks through Labor Day. Leave me a voicemail with your pick. Just call 385-800-1889 and do your thing. And now, conversations with poets who will be on stage at the Utah Arts Festival this weekend. Trish Hopkinson, co-founder of Rock Kenyan Poets and Literary Advocate. Kevin Blankenship, professor of Arabic at Brigham Young University and amateur poet. There's an entire literary stage happening at the Arts Festival this weekend, and Trish and Kevin will be on stage Friday evening this week. We'll get you the times and the location here. But let's get right into some poetry, Trish. And you were telling me that you've got the first poem that you ever shared on KRCL, because we've been doing this for a couple of years now. Yes, this was actually even uh, before, I think maybe before your time, Laura. (laughs) Oh, yes. So this goes back to uh, when uh, Stephanie Dewar with Water Week was involving poets uh, in the Water Week celebrations, and and she had a Water Week slam. So we were writing uh, water-inspired poems, and I think this was around, I want to say like 2013. Yeah, that predates Uh, me. Yes, yes. Um, And so... This poem, uh, there were two of us uh, that, um, well, there was a winner and then I was runner up uh, with this poem. So I thought I'd do a flashback poem uh, from Water Week. I like it. We're in a drought. This works for me when you're ready. All right. This poem's entitled Espresso Noir. In he walked in his cap and chinos. This guy was a cool drink of water. I mean, a real hot cup of joe. He was my kind of guy, organic, shade-grown, and extra tall. He had a skinny vanilla latte on his arm, but her disposition wasn't too sweet. She had a sugar-free aftertaste, if you know what I mean. She was as bitter as oversteeped tea. What was a guy like this doing with a drip like that? She was ice to the core, a real frappuccino. I'd bet all my Starbucks she was going to put a real tamper on things. She was far from harmless, and I knew right away she had a grande scheme to squeeze him dry. Now, I don't mean to vente here, but I know a femme fatale when I see one, and she had it in for him. She was an iced latte with legs, and once she had what she wanted, she would leave him with nothing but froth. I went to the counter, the sly barista that I am, and in my best French roast accent, I said, what can I get you? I knew right away it was a mistake. Can I get some ice water? It's pretty steamy out there today. Sure, I said. I moved like honey to fill his complimentary cup with ice water. I glanced half and half heartedly at the empty tip jar. Any charge, he asked. I said, it's on the house. I percolated pathetically as they moked to the door. I was too pulled short to do anything about it. Next time, I'll expose her true syrup flavor. I'll knockbox her around and even use a double shot if that's what it takes. In the end, it'll be him and me brewing a breakfast blend. Oh, my gosh. I don't know whether to snap, laugh, or cry at that. (laughs) (laughs) Just a few little coffee puns. Amazing. (laughs) And uh, uh, Kevin, let's hear something from you because you'll be reading as part of Rock Canyon Poets Friday night at the Utah Arts Festival. 7.30, I understand, Trish. 720. 720. 720. Let's go to you, Kevin. And I first want to know a little bit about being a professor of Arabic at BYU. Sure, absolutely. I actually started studying Arabic when I was an undergraduate at BYU and uh, didn't know this at the time. I just sort of took it on a whim. But BYU graduates more undergraduate majors in Arabic than any other university in the country. Uh, It has a huge program 
and uh, you know, Middle East studies more generally. And I was the beneficiary of that. And it's a great chance for me to come back and, uh, and sort of give back to the place where I was, uh, you know, began my journey. Um, so yeah. And a lot of my, uh, a lot of the poetry that I write is, uh, kind of based off of that or, uh, inspired by my own journey with Arabic or by things that I'm reading in Arabic. I was going to ask if you are a fan of Rumi. Yes. Although, um, so Rumi wrote within the Islamic sort of civilization tradition, that's true, but he wrote in Persian. Um, so, uh, you know, he uses a lot of Arabic words because Persian uses a lot of Arabic words, but, uh, you know, his, his, his output was in Persian. So close, but not quite the same thing. So do you draw inspiration in your poetry from your Arabic studies and classes that you teach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, students ask me questions all the time. They get my brain thinking. And then just in reading things, I do classical Arabic literature, which is a, a w- very wide ranging sort of field. Arabic was for a long time, the language of an empire, the language of a world religion, and it still is not an empire, but of a world religion. And um, it, uh, what that means is that it was, there were millions and millions of manuscripts worth of writings produced in this language. And so, um, as you can imagine, that's led to, um, you know, production of just such a, a broader, broad array of topics and themes and treatment of even the same thing, different treatments of that theme. So, um, anyway, there's a lot of good brain food there for, you know, whether you're a scholar analyzing it from sort of an, uh, you know, an academic perspective, or if you want to be more creative with it, you can sort of take things and riff off of them. Well, I'm excited to hear what you're riffing on. What are you going, what are you going to share? So uh, the first poem I have is uh, based on my own journey with Arabic and trying to learn it, which is, it's a difficult language if uh, any of you are familiar with it. And even if you're not, it it can be uh, surprisingly difficult if uh, what you're expecting is something like Spanish or French. So this poem is called To Arabic, an Abortive Dear Jane. I've had lovers before, a taste of French in second term middle school, a dalliance with Spanish on and off till high school graduation, even a long-term courtship, two years, with Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, incandescent, voluptuous, lilting song. But then you, Arabic, it took a full month just to learn your letters, curlicues wrapped up in full-throated bursts, ein, cha, pof, bod. Once imagining I could tame you with a flick of the wrist, soon I learned, fateful day, that you wouldn't give in so easily. And so I found my destiny and my demise. Fourteen years I've tried to quit you, sworn off a thousand times your nominal sentence, your diptote, your false idofa, promised myself ease and comfort, Latin perhaps, or even a bit of Dutch, but you wouldn't. And so I saw in myself the horrible taste for toil that lay in wait the whole time. I can't even imagine tackling that language in uh, written or spoken. It's a a challenge. How many years did it take you to feel like you'd mastered enough to become a professor? So I, uh, I had a professor in grad school who used to say the first 40 years of studying Arabic are very hard, (laughs) but then after that, it's okay. It's all downhill from there. You never totally feel comfortable with it. As soon as you feel like you've mastered one thing, you discover something else that you have to start all over again with. So 
Um, which uh, honestly is part of its appeal. If you're the kind of person who's attracted to challenge, Arabic is a lifelong project. Poetry still happens tonight here on the Radioactive Summer Break. We're speaking with Kevin Blankenship and also Trish Hopkinson of Rock Canyon Poets, which will be on stage at the Utah Arts Festival Friday night at 720, the literary stage, which is usually between the old library and the new library is kind of how I put it downtown uh, at Library Square, which is where the Arts Fest will be going on Friday, Saturday and Sunday this weekend. So, Trish, the Arts Fest also marks the release of issue number six of Orogeny. Tell us about Orogeny. Yes. So uh, we started it not too long after we started Rock Canyon Poets. And each year we put out a volume of our our poet, the members of Rock Canyon Poets of our, our best work for that year. Uh, last year we did a really big volume. I think it was close to 100 pages to celebrate, commemorate our fifth year, actually that was 2019, uh, celebrated our fifth year. We're uh, a little bit behind. Uh, yeah, that to, lost year of 2020 due to COVID, <laughs> right, right? The lost year of 2020. Um, so this is uh, our our sixth volume of poems, and we will have those there at the Arts Festival for anybody who is interested in supporting living poets in Utah. Uh, we invite you to come out and check us out, listen to some of our work, and and check out the the new volume, which has a beautiful artwork on the cover. Uh, we have an incredible graphic designer who's also a poet who will be reading with us at night as well, Austin Beckstrom. Wonderful. Well, let's so, get one more poem from each of you. Kevin, what do you got? So the second poem that I have is uh, not based on my own journey, except in the sense that it was inspired by uh, a, a couple of lines of poetry that I read by who many in the Arab world consider to be kind of the Shakespeare of the Arabs. His name is Al-Mutanabbi, and he died in 965 CE. And he wrote two lines on a very strange uh, comparison between two things, which will become apparent. He wrote, I made her a bed with cushions and throws, but she refused and slept in my bones. My skin, too tight for both my size and hers, so she filled it with rot, making it home. And the title of my poem is, My Sickness is a Mistress. She loves me till my body fades away. Kissing with fever paints my veins in smoke. My sickness is a mistress come to stay. Today are wind-dried stalks like copper hay. Yesterday, all the leaves were on the oak. She loves me till my body fades away. Caressing me with sweats, she starts to flay, then stabs with final poison like a joke. My sickness is a mistress come to stay. Now I, her wasted victim, zealous prey, see through with lust, I faintly start to choke. She loves me till my body fades away, then beds me with her fester rot decay, covering skin and bone just like a cloak. My sickness is a mistress come to stay. Yet I do feel worse when she doesn't stay and takes from me her kindly fatal stroke. Please. Love me till my body fades away. Oh, sickness, be my mistress. Come to stay. Oh, just an example of what you'll hear on stage with Rock Canyon Poets Friday night, 720 at the Utah Arts Festival. Trish, you will also be reading in a, in a separate reading at 530 on Friday night. Earlier on Friday, though, at 530, Trish Hopkinson from Rock Canyon Poets, my partner in poetry still happens here on Radioactive, will also be reading but I understand you have something in Orogeny you'd like to share that will also be available at the Arts Fest this weekend. 
Yes, this is a poem by uh, co-founder of Rock Canyon Poets, Bonnie Schiffler Olson, and it's entitled To Tracy Bodily on the Eve of My 46th Year. You did not live to read this, and I am sorry. The last time we spoke in an elevator, my belly raw and empty, your arms full with expelled contents of your own. I heard your puzzling frustration as I hurried off to hold mine somewhere isolated in NICU on another floor. Forgive me, I didn't know. You thought once in a yearbook that I would write a book and instead you pinned cover to cover your own. In between page turn partings, postpartum, the two of us met, breast bowed by milk and strain, for mouths that sang for our attention, for their own. I think now about the close shave of flesh and ribboned cradle bone, of love given and locks received, the contained longing for children's song and pained fingerprints. You were right, motherhood is struggle, the letting down and letting go. I wonder where yours walk without you, without your breasts, their little hearts still pumping. Mine remain at the rib, wondering now about the before then, about you, plump and heavy, riddled with yourself, preparing to give your curled hair as offering for each butted tooth, for small fists of that took your hours and days. Sun up to down, they must miss your troubled smile, gazing down over tiny tumors and their rationed blue gulp. That poem written by Bonnie Schiffler Olson, read by our guest Trish Hopkinson tonight. And it's also in Orogeny, issue number six, available at the Utah Arts Festival. You can check them out Friday night uh, down at Library Square. Trish on stage at 530, Rock Canyon Poets Collective at 720. And Trish, before we go, we still have an open call for our summer poems project here on Radioactive. We have a handful of submissions and we'd love to get some more to include. And how can folks do that? In fact, let's extend the date until September 15th, shall we? That sounds great. I love that date. Let's give folks a little bit more time to wrap up and revise and finish uh, their poems of summer. Certainly you can send us in poems that uh, weren't written this summer, but it would be great if they have a summer themed. Uh, We would love to hear poems about current events, anything related to summer or how you spent your summer. So it's uh, really wide open. <laughs> it's really wide open. I mean, the theme is very, you know, very, uh, very broad. <laughs> they but, happen to be the period of time known as summer 2021. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you can go to rockcanyonpoets.com and just click on the Poetry Still Happens menu. You'll see the call for Utah Poets right there. It will give you the details. We're looking for you to send in uh, your pages as well as recordings uh, so we can share some on the air as well as create a chat book. Yes, that's right. I have committed to uh, being the publisher there, of course, in partnership with you, Trish, because you've got the ear and the eye for the poetry. Kevin, where can people catch up with your work? My personal website is kblankenship.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as American Magrib. So American M-A-G-H-R-E-B is in Bravo. That's Kevin Blankenship and Trish Hopkinson of Rock Canyon Poets. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the literary stage at the Utah Arts Festival this weekend and plan your trip around some poetry. 
To close our conversations this evening, Utah poet Nan Seymour. She'll take part in the Team Slam at the Utah Arts Fest Saturday night at 9. She's also published her first collection of poems. It's called Prayers Not Meant for Heaven. And full disclosure, Nan and I first met in third grade. Here's our conversation. Hey, Nan, how are you? I'm well, Laura. Nice to see you. It's great to see you again. So you've got a couple things going on around your new poetry collection, your debut collection. Yeah. It's It's finally out. (laughs) It only took me 54 years of trying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And you've been around for most of those. The earnest start was at 17, right? Yeah, Nat and I go way back. (laughs) Mr. Westergaard from Skyline High would be so proud. I think he would, actually. And... Um, that wasn't a shabby beginning. He's really a fine teacher. We had some great times together. So yeah, this is maybe a culmination of some decades of paying attention to poetry, trying to write a few lines, and finally um, getting that you know accepted and published by a really wonderful publishing house called Toad Hall Editions. Um, those are the folks that published it. So, Well, I was looking over the materials you sent me before we talked. And at the bottom, you have in your signature a quote from Audre Lorde, poetry is not a luxury. It is a vital necessity of our existence. And I'm guessing that COVID has reconfirmed that for you. Oh, yeah. It's interesting to think of it in that um, context, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, poetry, that's how I experience poetry. And that's how I what I hope it brings is something essential for folks, nourishing, foundational, authentic, you know, it's a a, a way to transcend place and time and maybe even a plague and be in like a bigger conversation when, when things feel like they're shutting down around you. Poetry for me has always given me access to a bigger conversation, you know, people that uh, might not even be on the earth anymore are still in it. So I don't know. It's a way to transcend, I think, our some of our difficulties and a way to connect with each other, which maybe that's the most important facet of it. And in fact, for your book release, you wrote this, these prayers are not meant to ascend, but travel along the earth like vines mm-hmm. and leave us more radically connected, more lovingly and knowingly intertwined. That seems really hard for folks to do right now. It is hard because our culture and capitalism, you know, in general, don't support that at all, right? So, you know, there's this constant invitation to compare, to to be ranked against each other instead of linked. Um, so, art, you know, I think we're we're relying on art to uh, take us a different direction, you know, to to connect us, and it happens, of course, through music and dance and all forms of art. Um, but that's why art is essential, poetry is essential, because there's a lot of forces pushing us in the other way um, and in ways that are harm, they cause harm and they cause harm to individuals and to whole societies and turns out the whole planet. So, yeah, I think that's a conscious choice, uh, a way to pray that is more um, earthbound and intertwined. With that in mind, will you share something with us from Prayers Not Meant for Heaven? Yeah, sure. Um, I had a hard time. I was I knew you would ask, so 
I want to make sure it was something you hadn't heard before, your listeners haven't heard. I think this one um, called Blessing in Retrospect will be new. Um, uh, this is about an actual experience I had last summer in the midst of COVID. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, so I'll just read it. Blessing in Retrospect. Driving by my old house on 3rd Ave between O and P, I see the past occupants, a newly divorced mom eagerly finishing her third try at college and her only kid, a six foot tall teen with dirty blonde curls. The kid appears to be a boy, but she isn't. The mom appears to be courageous, but she isn't. They live alone on the first floor with their deranged rescue doglet who only bites the nicest people. When I witness the three of them, their leaking roof and two thin windows, I know they're headed into their longest winter toward their most dangerous spring. I love them and forgive them everything. That's a blessing in retrospect. It's a ghost story for folks that don't know you. It's autobiographical. Yeah. It gave me chills because I do know you and there's so much (laughs) feeling in that. Wow. And it does feel like a prayer, a prayer, a prayer in retrospect. Yeah. It's definitely a prayer. I think, you know, that happened. I was, you know, I drove past that house where my daughter and I used to live a decade ago. I saw those people who were us then, and I just felt so much love for them. And I thought, I mean, I've consciously amplified it and like turned it even more so in their direction because I felt the way that time didn't matter that, and that if anyone is sending love in any direction, um, that it has, it has potency, like it takes, you know, something it doesn't have to filter through anything to work um, or to uh, somehow affect. So that is something you could even do for yourself. You could, I mean, I included it in the book because I thought, well, this could be an invitation for other people actually to love themselves in a particular way. Um, just seemed like a good thing to share. Another thing that you say, I, I love looking at the press that people put together, but especially the people I know. <laughs> um, and your author bio reads, an unabashedly queer descendant of Utah pioneers. <laughs> And I just, I just love that. But the other thing that it says is that you're devoted to community and you dare to hope that our collective participation in human evolution is helping to tip the balance of the cosmos towards kindness and, and even love. And that's really at the core of your river writing classes that you offer. And I'm not asking for you to reveal confidences, but over the course of COVID, as you continued to offer river writing classes online, Um, how did you find people reacting? I mean, I feel really fear-driven right now Mm -hmm. to write about that even scarier for me. Yeah, I understand why people would feel that way right now. I think what happens in river riding is, you know, it's riding in community. So you show up and you're at a table um, with eight folks and a facilitator. That's a typical, you know, they used to happen only at live tables. Now they happen almost entirely on Zoom. Um, so, you know, when you first show up, you can be holding the feelings of fear you're talking about. They're pretty lonely and you're holding them, you know, pretty intently. And then add, add to that the fear of being seen, which we mostly have, you know, or being seen in this like, 
expressing yourself and being imperfect and not good enough, all those things. So people come to the table absolutely with all those things. What happens because we practice repeatedly and we do so with um, being held by community agreements that we make, confidentiality, kindness being among them, um, is you, you get started and you have all those feelings and you step over them and then pretty quickly you're in something else because you're not alone anymore in it and everybody is stumbling imperfectly. Everybody came afraid in some way. Um, and you have the opportunity in this uh, expression um, and the permission to just be seen. And I, I think it's immensely relieving of the tyrannies of perfectionism for one and isolation is the other. And so river riding, I think it's just, a, you know, has revealed itself as even a more potent medicine, um, a, a, gr a graceful place to be afraid. I'm not saying you won't, you'll, you won't stay afraid. I but it, it's a spacious thing. So you get to be afraid and connected, <laughs> afraid and creating, afraid and seeing, and maybe the fear then starts to diminish and curiosity gets to arise in its place, which is pretty lovely experience. Well, and heading into the arts festival, I think it's something interesting to contemplate. We can go and see all these physical manifestations of creativity, um, but the literary stage is always interesting to me because that's where the human drama is on full yeah. display. And that tyranny of perfectionism, I think, you know, during COVID, we've lost some of that perfectionism in our own homes because it's safe there to not right. have to get dressed for work above right. monitor line. So now right. we're supposed to think of a life post-COVID. Granted, we are not there yet. People, please keep doing the things you need to do to keep everybody right. healthy. But um, that tyranny of perfectionism is still there when we gather in public. Mm -hmm. it definitely is. And I mean, art can, it depends on how you hold art. There can be... Um, certain containers that increase that <laughs> tyranny, <laughs> but uh, river writing is not one. It's definitely yeah. the opposite. And the way I hold poetry and use poetry and participate it, I'm intentionally um, employing it for connection. And, uh, you know, so it might not be the most perfect example of anything that I bring, um, but it will be authentic and honest and, yeah. Maybe it will, maybe because it's imperfect and like the cracks are showing, you might feel more permission to bring what you have to bring. That's, that's genu generally my goal. It's like, okay, here I am this, you know, stumbling in, maybe you'll stumble toward me or we'll stumble toward each other. That's the way I think about it a lot. Well, can you give us one more passage from prayers not meant for heaven? Sure. Yeah. I'd love to. Um, since we're talking about the literary stage, I'll just bring this one that's addressed to the God of poetry called God of poetry. God of poetry, language of hearts, truthful economy, window left ajar, warp and weft of imagery, maker of music, breaker of lines, keeper of the precise word. I'm an ear pressed against your door. Please speak to me. I mean, my poetry snaps because we're not. A, <laughs> I love the snaps. <laughs> Always love the snaps. Thank you, Nan. And folks, you can see Nan Seymour Saturday night, 9 p.m. on the literary stage for the Utah Arts Fest 2021 Team Slam. 
but then also in conversation with the King's English online on September 13th. You can catch up with Nan on her own website, which is Nan Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R.com. Thank you, my friend. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. It's great to spend time with you. Poet Nan Seymour. She'll be at the Utah Arts Fest this weekend, along with more than 100 writers and poets on the literary stage. Check tonight's show notes for a link and plan your visit this weekend around poetry from Utah Poets. I'm Laura Jones, and this has been the Radioactive Summer Break. Share the show, listen live or on demand with the KRCL mobile app, available wherever you get your apps. I'll leave you tonight with the late, great singer-songwriter and poet, John Prine. His last song, I Remember Everything, on KRCL 90.9.